Love that song. That song actually was written in the midst of tragedy, but yet there was this deep set idea that God was behind all of it. And that's the case in Joseph's life. You might be wondering what all of this means. We're, we're, we're talking about Joseph. We're, we're studying the narrative of Joseph. And as he moves through his life, God is behind the scenes. God is driving the narrative forward. God has a plan beyond just Joseph. And so as all of these events are unfolding and all of this tragedy besets Joseph, we know, but God is. And he's doing amazing things. He's always working. And the beautiful thing about the Joseph narrative and the thing that really intrigues me about it is that there aren't these encounters with God that are straight out. God is kind of hidden behind the scenes, but he's moving in amazing ways. But Joseph, when he obeyed, he knew that he would likely get hurt. And obedience is easy when we're going to benefit from it. But Joseph was willing to step into the unknown in order to obey God, and the rewards were staggering. And so what we can learn in our own lives is when we step out in obedience, we might get whacked. We might be taken off course. We might be disappointed. The one thing we always know for sure is that God is working. God is working out a plan for our lives and for his kingdom that we can't always see. And so this morning we're going to learn to take steps toward that kind of obedience. And we're going to learn that there is a reward at the end of the road. But we're going to learn to obey even when it hurts. So let's take the narrative now and let's continue on with the life of Joseph. And we're going to turn this morning to Genesis chapter 37, beginning in verse 12. Genesis 37, verse 12, page 31 if you want to grab that Bible in front of you. Again, if you want to grab your cell phone or your tablet and go to your Ridgewood app, you just tap on Media, Sermons, Study, for Joseph and all of the outline will be there and study notes for you and you can just tap your notes right into it. So this is Genesis 37 beginning in verse 12. Now this is a really interesting little set of circumstances here because the first verses are kind of like an interlude in the story. It gets Joseph to where God needs him to be, but Moses isn't really interested in the character, the man that Joseph talks to. But when we get to verse 18 and we see scene 2, then we'll see all kinds of things begin to happen. Now remember where we are. Joseph is this 17-year-old kid. And he has been given the birthright by his father, even though Reuben was the oldest. That shattered any kind of cultural sensitivity. And the brothers didn't like it. And to top that off, Joseph gets a tunic which would have been Customary, this beautiful tunic to mark the fact that he was the favored one. And he had a dream. And the dream drives the narrative forward. The dream was, I am going to rule over you. Now that would be hard for anyone to swallow. I mean, even Chad's seminar would have a hard time with that one within a family. And so what happens? The brothers, instead of stepping into the dream, instead of exploring the possibilities of God... They step back, and they become enraged, and they're jealous. And so today we're going to see Joseph come face-to-face with them, the dreamer and the destroyers of the dream. 
are going to meet. And we're going to see what God has for us. So let's begin in verse 12. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel, that's Jacob, said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers, with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? Well, I'm seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. So that seems like kind of a a bland portion of the story, but it's actually really important. Because what we see happening here is we see this whole idea of the birthright being worked out. Remember last week we talked about the fact that one of the things that happened when you became the birthright carrier is that your role within the family changed. And so you became an intermediary between the father and the family. And that's exactly what's happening here. Joseph is, is going to bring word back to his father. So why did he get sent? We don't know for sure. Jacob may have been really concerned about the family because it was dangerous up there. Or it may have been that he just wanted to reconcile with the brothers. But either way, Joseph raised his hand and he said, I'm going to go. And away he went on his trip. So let's take a look at a map. And I just want to show you quickly here what this route looked like for Joseph. So if you look at it here, the dotted line going north would have been Joseph's route heading up toward Dothan. And then the, the other line, or I'm sorry, the line, the arrow would have been Joseph, and then the, the dotted line is the caravan that would have been on his way to Egypt. So Joseph had to go all the way up, starting in Hebron, which is in the southernmost part of Israel, up to Jerusalem, into Bethel, which Samaria, some of that's the West Bank now, it's Palestinian rule, and all the way up to Shechem, which would have been almost to the Sea of Galilee. 65-mile trip in total. And it's up in that area, but I want you to notice something. You see where that star is? That's where Joseph ended up, and that's where the caravan was going by. And so, Joseph thinks that he's going on this journey that was all about his brothers and the family. But God knew exactly where Joseph needed to be. He needed to be right there because that caravan was going to Egypt. Joseph was going to Egypt. Joseph was going into Potiphar's house. That's where Joseph would learn to rule. And God had this whole thing in his hands. But it took great courage for Joseph to do this. And really, the courage of Joseph is what sets the stage for the entire narrative. This man has a lot of courage. He's not a normal kind of guy. And I think we see him in the narrative just continuing to mature and, and grow out of this kind of brass young man into this solid leader and man of God. And it's quite an enjoyable journey. In this particular case, there were two big things he was facing. Number one, it was just simply dangerous to travel 
on that road. It was a dangerous area. It was lined with robbers and thieves. And it's not like today when you go walking in a nice trail. It was dangerous stuff. There was no policeman out there. There, there was nothing. But the second thing that I think we, we can't underestimate is Joseph must have known at this point in the narrative that the brothers hated him. And he was going there to find them. He also knew that his brothers were extremely dangerous and violent men. And we know this because of what happened in Genesis 34. Now, the ruler of this region had a son named Shechem. And Shechem was a really bad guy. In fact, he raped Dinah, who was the half-brother of Joseph. And, of course, this enraged Joseph's half-brothers. So Shechem went to his father, and he explained to him what had happened. And the two of them approached the brothers because Shechem had decided he wanted Dinah to be his wife. So the father and Shechem go to the brothers, and they try to broker a deal, which involves intermarriage between the clans. And the deal is, if you, Shechem, and your clan go get circumcised, then we'll have a deal. So Shechem is obviously really excited about this. They go back and they get circumcised. But what he didn't know is that he had been tricked by the brothers. Because the brothers were going to use circumcision and the recovery after surgery to attack. And they did. And they killed the clan. They murdered the clan. The whole thing. I mean, these are ruthless, violent men. This is what Joseph was walking into. This is why it took courage. He likely knew that he was in grave danger, but he still raised his hand and he still said, here I am. Amazing thing that just keeps coming back to me is that God took these ruthless men and he made them the fathers of the tribes of Israel. And it doesn't escape us. You know, do you think that you're really beyond the ability for God to use you? Do you really think that your past is too much for God to overcome? I mean, look at these guys. Have you ever killed a clan? Probably not. If you have, well, don't come and talk to me. I'm afraid of you. But, but if, you, if, you're, if your background is full of you know, things like sleeping around and substance abuse and lying and cheating, God wants to give you freedom. He wants you to step out in courage and walk into his grace. And experience freedom. Paul said this, and it's, it's, it's one that you know, but it's important. In Romans 8, 1 and 2, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For in Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Look at that phrase. There is no condemnation, but yet we condemn ourselves. We tell ourselves we're not good enough. We live in a victim's mentality. My question is, do we have the courage, do you have the courage to step out and say, no more victim, I'm going to receive your grace because I believe it's a biblical truth and I'm going to put my past at your feet and I'm going to move on into the future. That takes courage. It takes faith. And it takes obedience. 
But the brothers were evil, wicked, violent men, and God used them. He can use you too. And Joseph showed incredible courage to walk into all of that. And so we see him on this lonely road to Dothan, looking for his brothers, the killers of the dream, and now in verse 18 is the confrontation. This is where he finds them. This is where the narrative speeds up in earnest. Verse 18. The brothers, they saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. I guess once you've killed before, it's easier to kill again. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. And then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. Do you see that the dream is the center of the tension? The dream that Joseph would rule, the dreamer, the dream is what the brothers hated because it affected the status quo. It threw them off of their game. They weren't going to get what they thought they were going to get. And so now they're waiting for Joseph. They are so immersed in hatred that they can't see God's possibilities or the dream that God has. They're instead going to try to destroy the dream. But this is also important because this meeting prefigures or looks ahead to what Jesus was going to go through. And so the courage of Joseph prefigures the courage of Jesus. Here's the comparison, and it's pretty stunning. You have Jesus sent by a loving father. Appointed to rule. Walking into Jerusalem, knowing that his brothers, his people, Israel, would reject him. And would harm him. And in fact, would kill him. But yet he raised his hand and said, here I am. And he was willing to proceed forth with the Father's redemptive plan, the dream of the Father to reconcile us to God. And Jesus went. And they conspired to kill Him. And indeed, they did kill Him. But He obeyed even though He knew He was going to get hurt. That didn't stop Him. And so, amazingly, He found the lost. He did what He came to do. He went to the tax collectors. He went to the prostitutes. And he was roundly criticized for having the audacity to spend time with sinners. <gasps> really? He had to defend himself. And Luke writes about it in, in, in Luke 5. Those who are well have no need of a physician. But those who are sick, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That's a good life verse for us. Because we're not called to just deal with the people who are well and disciple just the people who are well. We're called to go to the sick, spiritually sick people, and tell them about Jesus. And that's exactly what Joseph was, was acting on the dream. Now, Joseph probably didn't 
totally understand that this dream was going to save Israel so that Messiah could come. But what Joseph did know is that this is what his father wanted, and he was going to get hurt, and he still did it, and that's what Jesus did. And Jesus went, and Jesus fulfilled the dream of the father. And then he rose again, and then he was exalted, and then he became our high priest. And so we see all this happening. Now, as the narrative progresses in verse 20, we see the brothers trying to kill the dream. And how foolish it is, can I just say, to try to, to, to extinguish the dreams of God. Good luck. You feel a calling on your life and you try to quench it, best of luck to you. The best pastors that I know are pastors that went screaming and crying to their pulpit because they didn't really want to do it, but God's calling them was so so extensive that they ended up saying, yes, I will go. And then they can tell a story of what it means to submit to Jesus every day. And maybe God's calling you to do something. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. It's best to obey and stop fighting God. It doesn't work. The dream won't die. So here we are now in verse 20. Come now. Let's kill him. Throw him in the pit. And see what becomes of his dreams. 21. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they threw him, or took him and threw him in the pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. So all of a sudden, when he gets tired of hearing this, because sometimes I'll blurt out in the middle of a movie, but when you write a book or a screenplay, you have these different seasons, right? So you have spring. Everything's great. We all look forward. Spring. Life has sprung. Flowers are up. We're excited. It's 45 degrees, but it's sunny, and we're outside in our shorts and our T-shirts, and we're getting our lawnmowers fired up, not knowing that there's still three, you know, three snowstorms to come, but it's spring. Then the summer, everything kind of levels down. Everything's good. Summer's great. Summer's long, beautiful. But in the fall, things start to turn a little bit bleak. But then in the story, sometimes there's a winter where everything looks lost. And this is where Wendy gets sick of me going, winter! Kind of ruins the whole flow of it for her. This is the winter of the story of Joseph. Here the reader is left to wonder, what has become? What has become of the dream? And here's, here's the point. The, the, the reader is left to ask, is this the end of the dream and the dreamer? It certainly seems that it is. I mean, we see Reuben, he's kind of this cowardly hero... He doesn't want him to die, but he doesn't have the courage just to grab him and get him out of there either. So he kind of circles around after the brothers leave. And who knows why? Maybe he, just, maybe he had good intentions, or maybe he wanted to bring him back to Jacob and try to negotiate his birthright. But it was an ugly scene. And notice how the robe now has reemerged. When we saw the robe last, it was this symbol of, of royalty, of ruling, of hope. 
Now the robe is this symbol of dethronement, horror. Jesus had a robe. Jesus was stripped, and they put this fake robe on him, and they beat him, and they left him for dead. And here there would have been water cisterns that dotted the area. Sometimes they used them as prisons, but this was no prison. This was meant for Joseph to die. And they left their 17-year-old brother to die. Thankfully, God had a dream. God had other plans. And so we're left to ask now at this point, what's God going to do? How is he going to save Joseph? And then we look over at Jesus and we see that Jesus, if Joseph is going to be like Jesus, Jesus was rescued. Jesus, yes, he was killed, but he rose from the dead. And he is exalted to the right hand of the Father. And now he is our high priest. And he ministers to us day after day. One day he will come back to receive us as his own. And he will conquer evil forever. Jesus left for dead, exalted. This is why we can say with authority that if you would simply believe in Jesus, you can be saved. If you would simply put your faith in the Son of God who has come to carry your sin to the cross, died there to pay it where you should have paid it, and rose again, and you simply believe in Him, the Bible says you can have eternal life. And the Bible says it's a free gift. And the Bible says it is good news. But it takes courage to do that, doesn't it? Because when we walk in faith and we walk out in faith and we give our lives to Jesus, we're not quite sure what Jesus is going to do. But my question to you is, why would you trade eternal life for a little bit of uncertainty in this short, little, tiny, temperate life? Why? This whole Hugh Hefner story makes me ill. So here's a guy who lived, what, 91 years? Brought pornography into the mainstream, has destroyed how many hundreds of millions of people and marriages. And he's being touted as this kind of hero, this, this guy who kind of cut a new track in his life. Let me tell you something. Those 91 years are going to seem awful small when he stands before Christ. So why are you making that trade-off? Give your life to Jesus. Like Joseph, he is alive. And so... Here's the thing. True obedience. If you want to do this, I'm just warning you. And I've got to warn you or it's not the gospel. That it's not for the faint of heart. Because Jesus is going to call you to give him everything. And so do you have the courage to do this? Even if you're a believer, do you have the courage to get right with God? Do you have the courage to submit yourself to him? Here's what it might look like. And this is why it's so hard. It might look like pulling your spouse aside and saying, listen, I've got to confess some things to you. Maybe it's infidelity. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's just some other things that you've been doing and hiding in order to get that relationship healthy and get it above board. That's hard. It hurts. But the rewards are amazing. 
Or maybe it's your friends. They're dragging you away from Jesus instead of towards Jesus. And so you've got to just stand up and say, no, no more. I'm sorry. I've just got to go another direction. And you may be lonely. You may actually be home on a Friday night, but at least you're with Christ. It takes courage. Or maybe for you it's taking that retirement nest egg and saying, what do you really want me to do with this, God? Because I realize now I put my security in my nest egg and not in you. Now that's frightening. It takes courage and faith. Here's what Christians that follow Jesus are called to do. They're called to pray this prayer. Lord, whatever you want from me, I submit myself to you completely. And I will do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And there are no caveats on that. I'm not going to say, but keep me living in my house. Or, i got to have this job, though, and then I'll follow you. Or, yeah, we're going to make it so our kids go to this school. Other than that, you got the rest of me. That's the way it works. You see, Joseph was asked by his father to go into this dangerous land and confront these violent men. And what did he do? He said, here I am. Here I am. So this morning I call you. Say, here I am. It's dangerous stuff. Obedience hurts. But in the end, what what happens? You get Jesus. You get deeper intimacy. I'm not offering you the perfect life, money, happiness, or fame. What I'm offering you is something infinitely more valuable than that. It's Jesus Christ. So why don't you take just a couple of minutes and pray that God would open your hearts up to what He wants you to do. And maybe you'll be that rare person that actually says that prayer. And then we'll go to the Lord's table and we'll celebrate. So just pray.